You're listening to the Volleyball by Design podcast. Today, we are going to talk about the opposite slash right side position. And you're not going to hear from me how to play that position and how to be extremely effective at that position, but you're going to hear from pro volleyball player and national team starting opposite, Shawan Vernon Evans. So stay tuned. Hi. I'm Coach Brian Singh, and after 11 years coaching competitive volleyball and as a head coach of a college team, I've become obsessed with helping athletes and coaches improve their knowledge and skills of the game by teaching them how to train efficiently and effectively to ultimately reach their volleyball goals. I've created the Volleyball by Design podcast to give you simple, actionable, step-by-step strategies so you can get clarity and apply what you learn right away. This is... The Volleyball by Design Podcast. What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to episode 23 of the Volleyball by Design Podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to listen, to tune in, and to learn, and just come and join me in the conversation of volleyball. Uh, If you're a regular listener, thank you again for tuning in. And if you're a new listener, welcome to the pod. We are on episode 23, so you you got some episodes to get caught up on, but I I guarantee you, you're going to get some good, valuable stuff out of the previous episodes. Today, we got a special one for you. We have an interview with one of the best volleyball players in the world, one of the best opposites in the world, and he's from my hometown of Scarborough, Ontario, which is located in Canada. And I actually had the privilege to coach against this athlete when he was playing club volleyball. And, you know, he was, um, his name is Shawan Vernon Evans. He played for a club team called Pac-Man out in, uh, Pac-Man's based in Mississauga slash Brampton out here in Canada. Um, But he's from my hometown. And it's not very common for athletes out of my hometown to make it to pro when it comes to volleyball. Uh, And not only that, but he is playing professional volleyball in Italy right now. He's also the starting opposite for our national team, for the Canadian national team. Um, and he's oh, and he's so young. I want to say he's 22. Oh my, I, I, you know, I don't even know his age, but he's definitely not older than 22, 23. And it's, it's incredible. The guy has such a, long, uh, a bright future ahead of him. So in this episode, we dive, dive in and we talk about his journey from you know club volleyball all the way to pro, we talk about what it looks like inside of a pro practice, what it looks like inside of the national team practice, how he trains for the opposite position. He talks about things that he wish he did when he was younger, and it's there's just a lot of good, juicy things in this episode um, for you guys to listen to. And I'm, I'm so excited to share with you. Um, but but one more thing before we do get into that episode. Uh, for coaches that are listening to this, listen, coaches, I got a nice freebie for you on passing. If you're interested, um, just go to coachbtraining.com. I'll link it up in the show notes as well. It's a free resource that I uh, created just for coaches, um, and we talk about things that are are not really like you can't you don't really YouTube and Google these things. I talk about something called a sweet spot, and I also, I also talk about strength training, things you can do to help uh, improve your passing. Um, so take a look at that. Completely free. Uh, go to coachbtraining.com. You'll say free resource, download it, or, or sorry, register, take a look at it. Let me know what you think. Um, but I definitely think you will find that valuable. All right. Well, let's get to the interview with Shawan. All right. Enjoy. All right. So, as mentioned in the intro, we have a special guest here today from Italy, originally from Toronto, of course, but all the way from Italy, playing, playing pro over there. Shawan, welcome to the pod, man. How you doing? Good, I'm good. How are you? Thanks for having me. Thanks for, you know, asking me to come on this podcast. And I'm excited to be here and talk some real stuff. Hey, I, I appreciate you being here. And just, you know, just so our listeners can get an idea, man, like Shawan is somewhat, I mean, I don't want to say legendary, but we're getting to the point of being legendary for Ontario volleyball. Like everybody that plays volleyball in the province of Ontario knows who Shawan is. Most people that play volleyball in Canada now know who Shawan is because of what you were able to do. It's like, you know, Shawan's from the city where, where I'm from. We're from Scarborough. And Scarborough kids generally don't make it to pro. 
especially in volleyball. I mean, basketball, you know, so forth, yeah. hockey, so forth. But when it comes to volleyball, you don't really hear a bunch of Scarborough kids making it to the big leagues. So that in itself is an accomplishment. And I mean, for me, I had the luxury of coaching against you, which, which wasn't fun, but, you know, it was a, it was a great experience. I, it, it is what it is. It's a great experience. And one of your best friends, Dating Kofi Gemma, which many of you guys know, played at UCLA three-time All-American. Um, you got, I got a chance to witness you two go up against each other. And there were some great yeah. moments. You want, sure. you want to speak to that real quick? Because many of our listeners know yeah. about Dana and now. Like, you want to talk about your relationship with him? Yeah, it's a uh, smart boy. Uh, as though I remember, like, we kind of just knew each other before, but we never really, like, spoke until, I think it was till Timo. Like, when we both got selected to do Timo, when we were 17 you was like i remember i went and stayed at his house and then that summer we got like really really close and you know we were always you know i i discovered how close he lived to me <laughs> i was like oh you're just a, a five ten minute bus right away you know yeah. so it was like after that we were always like i was always going to chill and we were just like hanging out all summer and also didn't have the luxury of a car so like right you know what you have the car that changes everything yeah yeah know? So me and Dayton were up to a lot of adventures for sure. But yeah, that's my guy. You yeah, know, it's um, crazy. It's good to see you guys grow and, and like do like you're, you followed the volleyball path, you know, going pro. Now he's going to go follow the music path. And I mean, both of you are going to be successful in, in, in both avenues. You guys already are. So and you guys are so young. It's crazy to see like as it as it progresses, the future is so bright which I'm excited to even get a chance to talk to you guys and, and see the, the journey. Uh, so let's talk about your volleyball story. I mean, for those of us who, who know you and those of us who don't, like walk me through, you know, when you were young all the way to where you are now. Um, so I started volleyball because my sisters, as if you listen to anything I've ever said, it's always because of my sisters. My sisters definitely started um, me wanting to play volleyball because I was a hooper. Um, still got that in my DNA. Always, you know, once you're a hooper, you're always a hooper. 100%. Um, yeah, so I kind of took a year off of, of basketball and I just went to my sisters was like just starting volleyball that year. And I remember going to every single practice and I was like, oh my goodness, this sport's so sick. Like, it's so cool. Like, and I was just trying to learn. And like, their coach at like the time was Clayton Karen Bocas. Mm-hmm. And I was always, I was always like, just you know i think he kind of saw me have like an interest and he'd see me like trying to learn how to hit the ball against the wall by myself like and bump like with my other boy kier who you sit who used to sit on your team yeah and um like we'd always be playing and then like sometimes like he'd just like tell me to come into the drill and just try to learn how to do some stuff and serve and i was like that at that moment i i was i think i was 12 i was 12 years old and i was like man i want to play and then I went to provincials, like I went to provincials and that's obviously a big tournament in OVA. And when I went to provincials, I saw Pac-Man and I saw like Kelly Smith's team at the time, which was like Nathan Murdoch, Brandon Coppers was that team. And I was like, Oh my goodness, this team is uh, the greatest thing. They made me yeah. really want to play volleyball. And that was that summer. I was like, I'm going to Pac-Man. Like I decided, I was like, I'm going to work as hard as possible to go to pat like to try out and make the team and i remember that whole summer i was playing with my sisters in the the driveway bumping like peppering non-stop teaching myself how to hit on the wall and have like a faster arm swing like throwing the ball off the roof trying to like get like reaction time learn like how to have like a faster reaction time like i'm trying to teach myself all these things and um then i went to tryout for Pac-Man that summer. I turned 13. So September, sorry, is when yep. tryouts were. So that was 14 years for me, which is usually like when most guys start anyways. And I remember like just going in there and I was just like, I remember seeing Kelly and Kelly just looked at me like weird. Like he, <laughs> he just looked at me really odd and stuff. And, you know, and I just remember going in and practicing and I, I thought I played well, but, you know, I remember just going in there and I was seeing like one of my other best friends, Parvier. And at the time, Parvier was, you know, the same size he is now. But back then, it was like he was a monster. Parvier was definitely who carried us for <laughs> sure. 14 to 50 view, Parvier was the greatest player in the world. 
I firmly believe that. And I remember just seeing him and then a bunch of these other guys. And I was like, man, these guys all have beards already. Like, I don't know. Am I in the right, like the right gym? And I, I remember looking at Kelly. I was like, Kelly, am I in the, am I in the right spot? They're like, oh yeah, yeah. This is 14 boys. I'm like, are you sure? <laughs> these are some big boys, man. But um, yeah, I eventually um, ended up making the team that year. Um, Ed Terlinski was my coach I, for for that year until 16 year. And yeah, I remember just making that team and, and I was like, I wanted to play left side. I was just like, man, I really want to play left side. And I will give Ed a lot of credit for that. Is Ed actually kept me left side and, um, you know, helped me and try to work with me with my passing and all that stuff. And, you know, I was... 14 was like weird because that I think our year we had the triple ball still like I remember mm. we had the triple ball rules still and right. that was that was pretty good but I think honestly I stuck with ball because I, we had like a lot of success like really quick you know so then I just like kept on getting addicted to winning and addicted to like just getting better I'm like oh man like I gotta get better and then I just started to like you start to meet people like uh Dustin like I met Dustin and Matt Harris and like Michael Amoroso and all these guys and and like I Alan Arsenal like I met all these guys and I just kind of man I was in Ryerson because Theana my oldest sister ended up going to Ryerson but um yeah so when I I kind of played through Pac-Man from 14 year obviously to 18 year and you know every year I just started to play volleyball more and more and more and more and more and I was Man, I was in the gym literally six days, easily seven days a week. I was always in the gym. And that's what many people don't know about me is that how often I actually was in the gym. Mm -hmm. Because whenever I wasn't practicing at uh, Pac-Man, I was, I was definitely at Ryerson, just doing something with the women's team or trying to play with like the guys team. But I was always trying to just play. I always used to go in the gym and Dustin always knew I had like my stuff ready to go and he'd look at me like do you got your stuff and then it started to become like normal where he just like was confused when I wasn't ready to play and stuff so you know I, I just yeah Dustin definitely I credit a lot of my success to that man and um yeah I did I did indoor and beach for a while um with Parver. Parver was my partner we got we did a lot of tournaments and won a lot, and we went to a few world championships. Um, shout out to Jesse Sati, who is our coach, and, you know, he helped me along the way as well. So, you know, we got through the Pac-Man phase, and, you know, we've – then I went to the full-time training center after. I didn't I didn't go to school. Um, I went to the full-time training center and so what is that yeah, for the, for the listeners around the world? What's the full-time training center? The full-time training center is, uh, just like the, uh, kind of the national team, a national team, it's a national team program that kind of selects like players that try to want to go pro and they, you know, it's just like a center where you play volleyball full-time. Right. And, um, like I was, I was the youngest person at the time to ever like really go. Um, like to go to the full-time training center. And then actually my year, Jesse Elser mm -hmm. um, from Trinity Western also came my year. So Jesse was actually the youngest, but um, it was like very uncommon for us to like even do that because it was always usually like university, like graduates or like guys that like ended up just not wanting to do university anymore, but they're older. They're always older than 20. And, you know, here comes an 18 and 17 year old, <laughs> trying to right. come play and um i'd honestly say that 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 uh full-time training center changed a lot like for me for volleyball for sure because i also went from left side to right side in that in that transition so that was also something new as that to learn a completely different position and it is not so easy because you know you have to just train your eye kind of from like the ball coming from the right side of your like the right eye all the time now it's coming from the left all the time your footwork's changing and uh it took me a while for sure to even get used to that stuff and even till this day I still like struggle with like high ball just because I'm so like not used to seeing the ball come from that that side um but yeah you know the full-time trainers helped me a lot train center helped me a lot and 
it kind of, every year in the full-time training center, you get to go to France and play some pro teams and get like exposure and stuff. So other pro teams see how you fare against like pro teams. And um, France is a pretty good level and we play like good teams there. And it was funny because at the time of my year, there's a lot going on. Like Gavin retired my year. Um, so that kind of just left a vacancy in opposite. And we got a new head coach at the time. So we had Steph. Mm-hmm. Stefan Antigua. So it was like when we went to France, we met Steph. And I just remember like Steph was one of the most intimidating people at the time because Steph did not say a word. Like he was so quiet and like tall and just stoic. Like he didn't ever like say nothing really. And like when he spoke, it was a very few words and like just these like a little like weird, like, huh, like weird laugh. <laughs> but like, you know, was it like he was. <laughs> You were just unsure, like, how to read this guy. And I just remember, like, thinking, oh, man, you got to play good. Like, this is the new national team coach. And I think I played decent, like, um, in the games that I played. And then I remember after, like, when we were going home, Dan Lewis told me, like, oh, like, he wants me to get you ready for for World League, um, which is now VNL. Mm-hmm. And I was like, uh, Dan's just joking with me. Like, you know, Dan's, Dan's playing with my emotions, man. But I was just like, okay, like, I don't think he's like, I think, I think he's serious, but not so, so serious. But he was really like serious. He's like, we need to get you like ready to go. And I remember like that obviously just boosted the motivation times 10. Cause I'm like, oh my goodness. Like, mm-hmm. like I get to play with these guys possibly that just like, we just watched them in the Olympics you know, and I'm just like, this is, this is impossible. And I remember like Steph, Steph was coaching a pro team. And that's also how I got my first contract because Steph saw me and Steph's like, oh, like, I want to take you as a young guy. And to me, that was a no brainer because, you know, you have very few luxury, luxurious opportunities like that. Like, yep. you, it's very uncommon for you to find, um, a coach that you know of course because you barely know anyone or like teammates or people that you know when you go overseas for your first year so me like I immediately knew like I didn't care about the money I was like man I just want to learn under Steph and um you know try to get better at volleyball and I know like he's gonna believe in me and trust me and help me get better so that to me was automatic like signed two years in Warsaw boom done and then you know, that kind of just transferred into the summer where I was doing junior national team. And then when we qualified for Worlds, I remember um, getting an email and Frank, you know, everyone was like, oh, do you have a week off? You know, we're like kind of remembering like, oh, we have a week off. And I'm thinking, oh, yes, like me and Dana were talking about what we're going to do. Like once we came back to Toronto or like, and I get an email from Frank and Frank's like, oh, yeah, like you're, you know, your return to Gatineau to join the senior team. I'm like, what? And, you know, like <laughs> part of me was like kind of like a little sad because I was like that uh, I was just about to get this break and I was so excited. But also my brain, like I was like, oh, this is amazing. Like I actually get to train with these guys like this is, no, you know, this is crazy. So I remember coming back and. I think I went back just before we were about to leave because I was training with them a bit before I left. But then like when, before we left to the junior competition, I trained with the junior team more. But when I came back, like no one it was just like the A guys. Mm-hmm. And I just remember like people coming up to me and talking to me and said, like, I hope you're ready. And I'm like, ready for what? Like, <laughs> what are we talking about? Yeah. And Steph calls me over. He's like, so you're going to travel. I'm like, what? <laughs> I think you're going to travel and you're going to, you know, if you, if you play good, you, you'll play and stuff like that. If, if um, the other opposite doesn't play good, then you're going to, you know, you're going to come in for him. And if you continue to play good, then you're going to start. And I'm like, this, this can't even be real. Like this, <laughs> I didn't, I'm telling you, I'm 18 years old and I'm listening to him say these words to me and I'm like, this can't even be like a reality right now. And it was it was just like also just different because like usually the teams are so old, like on our national team, but 
that year, like we swapped out a lot of old guys and got a lot of young guys. So Mar, Stephen Mar came my um, my year. Arthur Schwartz, Riley Barnes, Brett Walsh, um, Van Burkle. Like uh, no Slater came a year after, but you know Gunter at the time. Like there's a lot of guys that like kind of came in and was like a difference. So it was, it was easier for me to, I think, to transition, but I'm still the youngest by four years. Like, Art's four years older than me. Mm-hmm. So imagine, like, being the youngest, like, and the oldest guy is, like, 10 years older than you. And it's just, like, you know, I, I give a lot of those, those guys a lot of credit because they didn't treat me as if, like, I was, I was young. You know, they respected me, like, right away and knew, like, there's a reason why I was there. But even for me, like I didn't, I didn't know why I was there for a long time. I'm like, I don't even know why I'm here. And then, yeah, we kind of just traveled that summer, and I actually got to play quite a bit. Like, I played a lot that summer, but I didn't really start until the final six of of World League, where we qualified for the final six. And I remember because we were in Belgium at the time, and we beat Italy. And we needed to beat Italy to like have a chance and someone else needed to lose for us to get in. And, and they did lose. Um, but I remember because Steph's like, if you, you know, if we win, then you go with, you come with like us to final six. And if you don't, then you go with the juniors to Czech Republic. And I was just like, oh, okay, like, well, we'll see what happens. Yeah. And, you know, I felt bad because of course, like the junior team thought like I was going to go with them this whole time. And then, you know, when we made it to final six, I was just like, ah, oh, you know, I'm not really coming and it's not, it's not really something I can <laughs> control. And yeah. I mean, this is where you want to end up being right. Anyways, you want to be with the senior team. You don't, if it's the senior and the junior team, of course you want to go to the senior team and, and be there. And I remember going and, and we were playing in Brazil and uh, the first game we played was against Brazil. And, Steph looks at me and says, you're starting. I'm like, what? So my first game ever starting for the national team was in Brazil at the the biggest tournament I've played thus far in my life with a bunch of Brazilian fans just filling the arena, screaming. Like, I remember because we were playing in this big soccer stadium. Like, we were playing in this huge soccer stadium. So it was just so many fans. And I remember just coming up the stairs into like the arena and just looking up and just seeing yellow green everywhere just all over the place and man my nose my nerves were jumping a bit i'm not gonna lie i was like whoa this is this is different but for some reason like when the whistle blew like i i forgot about everything like i just right away like forgot i'm like oh this is just volleyball and you know i went there and we kind of did really well we did the best we ever did we came third that year and you know I started to play pro the next summer and you know now I'm here in Perugia which is one of the best clubs in the world in my fourth year of pro and qualified for the Olympics life is just looking good now <laughs> from, that's a story yeah no no man that was a great story that's a that's a great path to, to what you took um before I, I dive into that story a little bit i you, you said you were a hooper and i know you are yeah and i know i don't know if you've, got, you've gotten this question before because i know dayton has and many other players that i've worked with yeah. but the biggest question why not basketball why volleyball? Um, basketball i get to play in the nba and you for sure if you had pursued basketball there's no doubt in my mind you would have gone d1 and maybe even who knows what else so yeah. what happened Oh, this is uh, this is an interesting story because I played basketball in high school like pretty like pretty good I would say. Um, also, I was just um, like taller than everyone too by a lot, but it wasn't like and you just can shoot. Like, yeah, so just people like saw like my skill set. So the, a lot of like you know Canada elite guys like would sometimes ref and stuff. And there's this this coach like um, one of the guys that coached Canada elite saw me all the time. He's like man, you need to play basketball. And I was like, you know, like he knew my dad, he knew who my dad was, but he's like, you, need, you know, you should play basketball. And I'm like, you know, I play volleyball, but like, I, I knew I was good at basketball in grade 11, but in grade 12, like I just was in a different bag for some reason. Okay. And we went to, we went to this invitational tournament 
at Upper Canada College. And Basketball Canada was actually there. This is a true story. I'm telling you, if you ask my mom till this day, this is a true story. And we were like, we were playing this just a, a school. I can't remember which school we were playing, but it was another private school. But we weren't a private school. We just, I don't even know how we got in this tournament. But, you know, we were playing yeah. against these private schools. And Upper Canada, um, the, sorry, Upper Canada, the Basketball Canada guys were literally watching me play. And they just saw, like, my footwork, my skills, how I shot, how I dribbled, you know, how I just played defense and everything. And, like, they were trying to convince my mom to get me to play, like, on the junior cadet team, like, or try out for the junior, like, basketball cadet team. And my mom was so adamant about me playing volleyball. She's like, nope, like, he's not going to play. He's not going to play. And I did love basketball, and I don't know what I would have done if, you know, that opportunity was presented to me, you know? Yeah. I'm just, I'm like, it's, it's tough, like you said, because I always will love basketball, but I also really love volleyball. And, you know, my mom's just like, no, he plays volleyball and stuff like that. And I remember she waited till after the tournament, after they were gone, to tell me that they approached her. Because I don't know, <laughs> I might have ran, I would have ran them down or something. But, yeah, like, I just, I used to play, like, um, for like a a club called Yace, and they had like Yace has a few guys now that's in the NBA. Um, that like two of them used to be three of them actually used to be my teammates. Um, Shea Gilgis Alexander, Nikhil yeah. Alexander Walker, and um, O'Shea Bressett. Like those guys, I used to actually play with. So, like you said, like I could have maybe ended up there you know I had the size the height yeah athleticism and skill but I don't know I just always I think like for a long time my passion was always to learn and get better at volleyball and I don't think I had that necessarily for basketball at the time Mm. but it's different because if that opportunity is in front of you you don't know what you would have done but I think um you know I'm I'm happy with the choice I made for sure like you can always do the who could have would have you know, should have, nope. would have, whatever, but I'm definitely happy with the choice I made. And even now, like I still can go to like these Canada elite facilities um, and train and, and do stuff. And, you know, maybe me and Dayton were joking about once upon a time, joking about just training like with a basketball, professional basketball trainer for five months and then trying to, you know, go to like a draft combine or something. But I don't know if that. Well, that to be fair, you guys both have the size, athleticism. You have a little bit more skill in basketball than Dayton does. Um, <laughs> yeah. Right, but uh, but you guys, uh, you know what? Like, it's not a bad idea. It could happen, but you guys have for your sure. own path, anyways. But I I I, yeah. I don't think for a second that um people will call you crazy because you would be able to be competitive with anybody in the gym just based on your size and athleticism. So it's definitely something that is like. I might do it just for funsies and see what happens for sure. One just day you should go to LA in the summer, go to those Rico runs at uh, UCLA. Yeah. Hey, yeah, just get this, you know, just try to impress someone a bit, you know, just do, just jump, just jump one time and hope that they're like, Ooh, you know, just yeah. see the height. But yeah, definitely when data was out there too, I was like, man, these guys are, you see like LeBron pulling up to these runs, like, you know, if you just get on one of them and you do a little bit of something, you know, they're going to recognize you. But it's, yeah. yeah. Just get an opportunity to jump. Get yeah. an opportunity to grab a rebound, dunk a ball, block a <laughs> yeah. shot. And that's all it takes. And it's like, wait a minute. Oh, okay. Yeah, literally that's all it is. Don't worry about dribbling too much. Don't worry about shooting yeah. too much. Just just go there and look athletic. That's just yeah. what it's about. And, yeah, no, I'm telling you, one day I'm, I'm going to get out there and hopefully do one of those runs. And obviously, like, also with, like, me knowing those guys, like, it's easier to try to get into those situations because I know some of the right people. Right. Okay, let's get back to some volleyball. So I like your story. I want to talk about your story. Um, you know, you went from club to full-time training center, full-time training center, you got opportunity to play against pro teams, and you talked about your learning curve at each stage. So uh, what was the difference from club to full-time training center? What was that big transition for you? Um, for me, was a lot of it was like I changed the position, like I said. Yeah. Um, but also just like I was always, you know, more physical than most people when it came to like volleyball. So I could just hit over everyone. 
uh, usually. And, you know, when I went to the full-time train center, I was still hating over people to a certain extent, but I had, I was weak. Like I did not weight lift at all until I got to the full train center, full-time oh, train okay. center. So when I got there is when I started to lift. Like I remember at the first, like, like the start, I was squatting with a stick, bench pressing with a stick, doing all everything with the stick. So like, cause I really did not know how to do anything. So that was my first. And I think that was the biggest change is when I went there, everyone's a man and everyone's already weightlifting and doing this stuff. And I'm looking, I'm like, man, like I didn't even, I don't even know how you guys do these things. And I remember going there, like, I think I was like 82 kilos. I don't really know what those are in pounds, but I was pretty light and ended up like towards the end of the summer. I mean, towards the start of the summer being like 94, 95 kilos. Okay. Wow. Gained a lot in that time at FTC. Yeah. And then from, uh, so, so the biggest takeaway was strength training. You had to get a lot stronger and then then learn a new position. Not just strength training, but also discipline. I was going to say is another thing. Like I always used to like love, um, you know, playing, like I said, I'd always just try to go to the gym and, touch volleyball it's a lot different like at ftc you know when you're you have you know you have to wake up early in the morning and you know sometimes those gatineau winters can be really tough and you know you're walking to practice a lot of the times and and literally two feet of snow just marching to practice and um those it can be a little tough like during that period just because you're like god man why am i even here Like, do I want to be here? So like that mental like strain on your brain to do this every day is waking up and playing volleyball in the morning, playing volleyball at night, lifting. Like, you know, you knew you had to do twice a day, like four times a week and then one time a day, like one time a week. And then you had your weekends off. But it's just like that consistent grind at that age is hard to do because, you know, you're seeing your friends first year going to parties and you know, going on trips and doing all these things. And you're kind of not even in that, you're not in that realm. You know, you're focused every day. You know, you have this, you don't have that leeway to just go where you want. And um, I would say definitely like that showed me a lot because I had to learn how to become an adult, like FTC. FTC taught me how to be an adult because I was on my own away from my family for the first time. Although I was like always relatively independent because I'd you know, took public transit and got home by myself and all the time, like I left by myself. So like that was thing, but that was one thing, but you know, you knew you're always going home and then FTC, you knew like this, you're not going home, my friend, like you're staying there and you need to grind this out and learn. And definitely like that. I got to a point where it was a little tough and then, you know, you get that motivation and you just realize why you're there and what you want to accomplish. And that kind of, after that, I was fine. But I'd definitely say like maturity, maturity is one of the biggest things I would say I learned. Right. So what does a day in FTC look like? You said you do two a days. So what does that look like? You wake up, walk me through yeah. a day. Uh, you know, wake up, practice is like weights are usually around nine, nine o'clock. So you'd wake up at 730, you know, whatever your routine is, shower. Like I like to shower, like get awake eat breakfast some people eat but i don't really eat breakfast so much but i know it's good for you i don't (laughs) eat breakfast so much it's just not something that i used to do so it's just a bad habit i have but i do eat breakfast in competition but um yeah i I tended like to just wake up and just try to get alert and just do something that would activate my brain so i'd just listen to music and you know and just kind of try to go on like i would like the walks in the morning because it was brisk and, you know, you just felt more alert when you're going there and you get to the gym around like 830, just chill, wait in the change room, listen to music, get yourself ready. Then you'd go to the weight room and you knew like, OK, what's on the menu today and then have weights. And then all every day, does it, you started on court, then had weights or had weights, then went on court. And I, I didn't, I like, I did not like the other version where it was like weights first then on court because I was convinced that we always did stuff that was like, we always would squat really heavy. We'd be max strength and then we'd be doing like defense. And I just came and like feel my legs yeah. <laughs> like anymore. But um, we do that. Then we'd go home. You'd 
have like four hours to nap, eat, shower, whatever, kind of just relax, recoup, and get back to the gym for practice at four. And then you'd go four to seven, like four to six, six thirty, sometimes yeah. seven if you know Vince was feeling it that day. Yeah. And then sometimes you'd just go back. Um, I would like to go to the pool. Like if we finished before seven, I'd always go to the pool, the pool in the sauna, because it was just nice to get in there and relax and cool off and then go in the sauna and relax some more. But right. um like if it was like till past seven, it like was closed, like the pool would close at seven. Um, so yeah, then we do that. Some guys, we get therapy. Um, I would always like, I love to go to the grocery store in the same day. Cause I like to pick out what I want to eat. I don't really like leftovers. So I like to go yeah. every day. So I would go after practice and walk to the store and I'd call like, my mom or my sister to my friends or whatever. <clears throat> and then I would, you know, walk back home and I'd cook food and make food and then just go in my room, watch a bunch of game tape. I, in FTC, I think was the peak of how much game tape I watched. I watched it like it was movies and I would just like study every possible right side on earth. Like every right side that played in that Olympics, I was watching and I was just taking notes and comparing what I did to what they did. And like, taking all of the good things they did and try to put in my game. And it was just like that time, I think I was a really like a big student, like of, of the right. game at that point. And yeah, pretty much rinse, do that repeat five right. times a week. So, so you had 9am weights and then is it just yeah. weights? And then you went back to the hotel or is it weights and court? No, you did weights and court always, always weights and court. Oh, so it's weights and court. And then you have an actual practice at four o'clock. Yeah. So how long is like the wait in the waiting court? Like what is that? Like two down? hours, two hours. Cause weights would be like an hour and a bit. And then on court was like an hour. Oh, okay. Got it. Yeah. That's pretty intense. That's a full working day. Yeah. yeah. That's a full working when, day. When you get home, you're not really resting like during the day. Cause you know, you're making food and you're just kind of hibernating a bit to go to practice, but you're still in your, your work day. Cause you're not fully like, you know, like, yeah. chill out relaxing like you're still like trying to kind of keep yourself in that mindset of oh i still need to practice later and i need to handle my business right okay so kind of going on along the same lines as a walk through the day um i always get the question is you know what what is a walk in, like what is the a typical day look like for your pro team so let's say practice what is a typical practice schedule look like what does your day look like when it comes to that pro uh, depends. Honestly, it depends on what team you play on, you know, in different places and stuff. When I was in Poland, um, like the older guys didn't have to practice really so much in the morning because they'd play at night and like they'd play more games. They're older. So right. when I was in Poland, I used to like we used to the younger guys would have to do weights and practice like and ball like and court like in the morning and then, you know. Um, usually like you'd have it around 10, 10 o'clock in Poland, practice yeah. like weights would start at 10 in the morning and then you'd go after town court and then practice would start at four. Like that was my, both my years in, in Poland and I had Steph both my years and Steph loved to practice. Steph loved practices. Like he would like practices with Steph were pretty long. Okay. So, um, that was that was how it was in Poland. When I went to Italy, my first year in Ravenna, we never really we didn't practice so much in the morning. Like we'd only really do weights, and then we do like sometimes some stuff on court. But you'd always practice like in the night for like two hours and a half, and you'd have like video like before for an hour. So like that was kind of the difference with Ravenna. Is this but in we, season? Is this during the season? Yeah, this is in season. This is while out, while like, games are going on, so you could potentially have a game that same night. Yeah, so like if we had the game, no, if we have like a game, then you you have your different protocol for the game, and like for the game, then you we'd practice in the morning, like we do a local servant pass, and we yeah. would watch video, and then you know we'd do nothing, and then do the game, and then the next day after a game is usually always free, except for like this four week span where we paid two games a week, and and those spans, and on the day that you have. Um, three no four days to prepare for a game or three days to prepare for the next game. You get the day off, the like, oh, okay. the day off after that game. Um, so like it was just 
it depends on like where you are because in Ravenna we didn't play as much because we weren't in Champions League so we didn't like we practiced really hard in the afternoon but we also like our waits was really long like in the morning our waits there was like an hour and a half almost two hours like waits was so long and that's like Ravenna. four days a week yeah no yeah waits except for during that month like I said because it's just okay. your body would break down yeah and then when I came to Perugia, Perugia was like, you do weights almost every day. Like you are doing weights for sure in the morning. Just it depends on whether it's strength or prevention. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you're going to do some on-court stuff. And then you have practice at four every day. And that's like basically sound. So 930, 1130, and then rest and then practice at 415 to 630 or something. So it seems like it's very, it's pretty consistent from FTC Pro. It's like you have your yeah. morning, you got your weights, a little on court, you got a break, and then you have practice in the evening. Yeah, the so only difference, the only difference with the FTC and this is travel. That's right. really the only difference. Like when you sometimes you get into that, like like when I said we do that month where we play two games a week, and this year we kind of just got even a little bit lucky right now because champion league situation but sometimes you even play three times a week and like you could be traveling a lot so your body is just moving and you don't even have time to rest as much and it's just like your mind is all over the place because you're just trying to like get even some time to relax and it's just hard in that month so those those months are tough because you just you always feel like you're on the go like you don't even remember what home is like Right. Right. Yeah. That's, I can imagine that must be tough. So you kind of touched on this. Like, uh, so we talked about what a day, a practice schedule looks like. So what's your routine for game day? Game day. Like for me, um, like I would wake up, go to the gym and then we have groups for, um, video. And then you just kind of go at your time. I would just be like sometimes I'd go earlier just to like walk around in the morning, like walk around the gym outside, listen to music and kind of just ease my mind and relax. <clears throat> then do video. We'd do a light like serving pass. And then the difference here in Italy, which is kind of cool, is that you always like eat together. Like you always eat lunch together. So we after we, you know, shower and stuff in the, the changer, we'd go to eat at this restaurant or wherever we decided. And, you know, we'd have team dinner and stuff and the guys, you just sort of chill, you're around your teammates and you talk and stuff. And then we'd go home and I would take a nap. I'll always take a nap before a game, <laughs> definitely. But I've tried to shorten my naps because sometimes I was taking like an hour, and a, like two hours, three hours. But then I was like, oh, that's so long. I don't need to be napping that long. And I, I started to learn to try to nap for the max an hour and a half. And, um, yeah, I'd do that. Then wake up, definitely listen to music really loud for sure. And, you know, on the speaker, getting going, you know, grooming yourself, getting ready for the game, just freshen up, have a snack. And then, you know, once you get into the car, for me, it's like I just have my headphones on from then on. And I'm just like – getting ready, preparing for the, you know, the game, get to the gym about 30 minutes before, like we even need to be ready to go on court because you have to be there. Like you have to go on court an hour before your game actually starts. So you're there an hour and a half, you know, you get taped or whatever you need and whether you need tape or uh, just a like quick mobilization or, you know, you need to go do band work and stuff. So I do go do that and, then just yeah get ready to play we usually play like when we're home we play at 8 30 usually like we usually play late games but when we're on the road we usually play at six so it's also just a different schedule because you're also in the hotel so you just follow like different rules like in the hotel you have shorter nap time because you have morning practice video lunch nap you have to wake up like at a certain time to do this like break kind of just to like get you active and go eat and have a snack. And then, you know, you're usually leaving the hotel around like four to get to the gym at like four thirty. Right. Okay. So that's, that's pretty, that's a pretty intense routine. Like and it's, uh, yeah. it's good that it's just structured that way though. I, I kind of like that. Yeah. So uh, walk me through what, um, 
Like, what does a typical practice actually look like? So a two hour, two and a half hour practice on, on a given, you can pick any practice, whatever. What is, how is that oh. structure look like in a pro gym? Uh, it, de- it depends on your coach. Um, like when I was in, when I was in Warsaw, we used to have like the way we used to warm up all the time where we would go and we would do sub servant pass. Like some guys would just choose to do servant pass and the other guys would stretch like a really light servant pass. And then you'd usually always are playing like some sort of like volus, like you're playing volus or what they call baggeroni here. Or like just some sort of mini game, and like with Steph, Steph had a billion mini games. Like he loved that stuff. So um, we'd play like a lot of that. Then we'd do some like we'd pepper, we'd warm up it, we'd serve, and then we would get into a bunch of different variations of six on six. For that's like a typical practice. And then after you always have the option to like serve more. Like if you want to serve more and pass more than you'd have that option, but, um, usually the younger guys like would take it, but the older guys are like, yeah, I'm done. I'm going to sit. So there really isn't much like technical training. It's all like, no, six the, six wash type stuff. Yeah. The technique is usually in the morning. You do, you definitely be using that like in the morning, you wouldn't so much use it like towards the end. And that's why I said, that's why like, it's usually the younger guys that do it in the morning because technically the younger guys would be more like less technically sound than the older guys. So I'm not saying like it wasn't like, it's not mandatory or something. Sometimes like sometimes they have to go, but for the most part, like it, they wouldn't be jumping or anything in the morning. It'd just be like reception or some guys would be serving, but um, you usually want your morning to be like low impact because you have like your night that's going to be high impact. Like, and you're going to play six on six and stuff. So yeah, you don't do so much like technical training, especially at this level though, because usually by now everyone's pretty technically sound at what they do. So you don't have to spend too much time on it. Like you do like when you're younger and stuff. Right. Okay. Let's transition a little bit to technical. So we talked a lot about structure and how, you know, your teams work now. Uh, we'll talk about uh, maybe we'll, we'll talk about opposite first and then we'll get into some left side because you you were you were a left side before too so <laughs> you know you, we're, let's let's pretend we're talking to a coach or a player who's who's training to be an opposite you know what should they be doing what should they be focusing on uh walk me through what you'd be what you'd be telling a coach or player right now when training an opposite train the opposite um as an opposite i would definitely be saying to learn how to hit both directions for sure um because like when I was like learning, I just learned how to hit line really well. And like now I'm like learning how to hit cross court and having those, like you need to have like every shot as an opposite because you're going to be required for a lot. Like in this game, like a lot of teams use their opposite as, um, you know, their main um, attack. But I'd also tell them to be fearless. Like as an opposite, you can't be really scared to make mistakes you're expected to do just to score and you have to take the risk and stuff like that. So, you know, I tell them not to be like scared. And that's really like also to be, to focus a lot on blocking and defense, because I think it's important, like blocking for sure is very important as a, as a opposite to me, because like if I'm having a really good blocking day, I can take away, basically I can make it half court because at that point, if you're not saying left side, you just have middle pipe and right side. And at that point, like you can cheat over, you can help a lot. You can stack your defense different and stuff like that. Knowing that they're not going to place to this side. And if they do play to the side, like you're okay with letting this guy challenge um, the attacker one-on-one. Um, but also defensively, because you don't want to be an opposite. That's just kind of a, black hole or you know just you know that if they tip they hit or anything to the to 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 you you're not going to dig it like for me i i don't care if it looks good or not like i'm not the most technically sound defender but i just want to touch the ball and just get the ball up and you know give a chance for your team to react and that's all it is is just give them a chance like keep the ball up off the ground somehow and just try to like chase balls up I would just say, like, try to be well-rounded as opposite. But the main, like, thing is you got to learn how to crush high balls, like be willing to risk a lot on high ball 
and also have the ability to hit multiple shots and see the bluff, such as, so you, you know, your possibilities are endless, you know, and also like, it's good to have a little bit of finesse um, as well, because guys are going to be expecting you to blast away. And, you know, when you hit them with that tip or the push tip or the cut shots and stuff, it's really good for you. You know, you always just want to put your team in a good situation as they're inside. That's great. I like that. I like the fact that you, you talk about looking at like looking at the block, having a lot of shots in your arsenal to be able to make. What's a good way that you could train um, to be able to like look at the block, see the block and make a shot accordingly? How do, how do we train that? Well, I think there's a few ways you could train it. Um, kind of I always just train just by having good peripheral where I'd always just kind of look down when I was hitting, but that's not the easiest way. I think to start that would probably be, you know, setting someone up on a box, you know, and kind of just changing the block on them a lot. And that way you kind of going to be forced to just see, but you can, you have more time when you're not having to focus on jumping at the same time to kind of look and take a peek. So just trying to train that to always take a quick peek. Like you see them do it a lot in beach, but in indoor, you don't have so much time like that. So I, I think you have to kind of train more your peripheral vision because when you're in beach, you can look down, peak, where's defender, turn, and in indoor, the volleyball is already going to hit the ground. But then, so I think you just kind of need to, like, train on a box and look down and kind of have the coaches changing where the block is set up or, like, call out what the opposing side's doing. And then you can kind of slowly incorporate that, like, into, like, attacks where they're focused on seeing the hands. But I think it's if you learn how to train your eyes to a certain extent, like you will be able to see the ball and the blockers at the same time, because it's just in that, like, as you're looking up at the ball, you'll be able to catch where the blockers are usually unless they're late. And then, I mean, then you just kind of have to choose where you're going to hit. But right. the, for the most part, like to see a block, it's, it's, it's dependent on just knowing whether the blocks there or not, you know, and, you don't have to complicate it so much, like, oh, what are they taking and stuff like that. But, you know, that's like kind of advanced. But if you could see like, oh, they're not there, hit faster or whatever the case is, hit line. Or you can see there are there, hit off the hands, hit cross or whatever, find the hole or something. I think you can train that for sure. So I would say just use the box and then kind of continuously develop from there and evolve. Yeah, that's such a good point, especially for young players. Like young players listening to this, like you, you got to hit with a purpose. Right? You can't just pound the ball for the sake of pounding the ball. If there's a block there, you know, if it's if it's sealed, go off hands. If there's a space, if you see there's space, you know, hit that seam. I think that's kind of what, what you're saying, right? Yeah. And and be strategic with your shots, which which is 100 percent true. Definitely um, the most valuable skill I would say to learn as a young player. If I could go back, I would learn how to skip hands for sure. Like, I, I didn't have that issue a lot of the time because I could go over people majority of the time. But learning now, now having to learn, like, other guys jump high. And, <laughs> you know, they're going to be able to touch your ball. So learn how to skip. If you can skip really well. What does then that mean to my listeners who don't know what skip means? Skip means uh, to learn how to, like, hit off the top of the hands and get the ball to go outside the court where they can't dig the ball or chase the ball down and if you learn how to do that you're also one of the most irritating people to play against as well because then as a blocker you have to learn you try to, to you try to block them different it's the the players that are really junky that learn how to you know push tip or wipe off the block skip off the block hidden seams like those players are the worst i do not like playing against those players <laughs> for sure for me as a blocker it's harder to block those guys because then your brain is is doing too much you're trying to you know, as a blocker, you want to simplify things. And with those guys, you're, I need to block the tip, push tip, or I need to anticipate this. And, you know, you start playing games and it, you just try to, like for me in those situations, I just try to stay disciplined. And, you know, I get them sometimes because they are also thinking, how do I beat this? How do I, like, what's he going to do? So just try to stay normal. But a lot of times you can see guys chasing and trying to, oh, he's going to tip. Let me try to go there and he hits or something. So if you learn how to do all that, well, you're going to be in a pretty good spot, I think. 
Yeah, I agree. It's funny. We actually, and in our college gym, we transitioned to training that a lot more than we used to because of how, how vital that shot is to just go high offense. Even our out of system balls. Now we, we used to push it really outside. Now we're pushing it more inside because we're oh, going yeah, for sure. We're going inside. Like, we're going always. high off hands all day. That, that's our money yeah, shot. That's, that's what they say. Now aim inside, always aim inside, especially because anyone can do something with the ball like inside. So right. you just want to set high inside and just let the guy go and, you know, decide what he wants to do with that and put him in a good situation. Right. Because also, also when you're outside, like the ball outside the court, you're usually falling back and can't see the block so much. So, Right. Yeah, that's great advice. And I hope I, I hope the game will start because back in the day when we used to train to like, I want to say eight, 10 years ago, the out of system balls were always being pushed outside. They always try to say push yeah. outside. Why? And yeah. now it's, it's transiting and we're getting a lot more results going inside high offense. Yeah than before so yeah absolutely um all right real quick i i don't want to keep you too much longer so let's talk about left side um just your your history with left side what should coaches and players be focused on when training the left side position you know stuff like that um for me i think it's important to train reception on float and spin serve like uh, use the serving machine as much as possible like as, the sooner you can start with the service machine at the fastest speeds it will help you so much. If you start training like at just playing with faster, like with older, stronger people, I think that was also one of my advantages growing up is because I always used to try to play with older people and stuff. When you have that luxury, it prepares you a lot more. So, you know, when you're playing your age, it's just slow-mo almost like the ball's coming at you is much slower. So, you know, reception as a, as a receiver is the most important thing by far. You need to, be able to pass, spin, and float really well. And I think if you can if you can do that, you have a job usually anywhere because people always are looking for people that can cover half the court. Now a lot of days, like a lot of people are passing with two players. You know, you're seeing that a lot more common is guys covering a lot of courts. So if you're able to pass floats and 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 spin reception in this game at a very high clip, I think it'll set you up for what you want to do futures because because now like Back in the day, like you said, it was more set left side in trouble. Now it's like you're saying right side a lot more. So, you know, left sides are also getting high balls, of course, but they don't have as much pressure to score as like they once did. So now it's just I think they have more pressure to learn to be a good receiver and stuff like that. And now with how the balls are changing and serves are coming in faster, you know, it's a good ability to kind of start off early because the earlier you start, the easier and slower the ball gets the older you get right right yeah that's yeah i i 100 serve reception is like i mean serve especially the younger age group like the best serving and passing teams win normally yeah. that's the way it works especially the younger age group I, i'm sure it's a bit different when you get to the pro level but uh i mean it's it's a night and day yeah, yeah. So, so we talked like the technical stuff we talked about is great we talked about hitting with a purpose uh, you know, reading the block, understanding, um, you know, understanding not only how to look at the block, but what to do with when the block is there. We talked about serve reception. Uh, we talked about the day in the life of a practice at the pro level and and um, and game day and all that stuff, which is really good, especially I have a lot of coaches that listen to the pod. So it's kind of nice that they can see, you know, uh, one thing coaches always like, am I, am I overtraining? Am I training too little? So yeah. you guys got a chance to see what they're doing at the pro level. Uh, and that, that that's what they do at the absolute highest level so you can cater accordingly um let's uh a couple more things before you go i always okay. ask this anytime i do my interviews i i always ask these questions to to my players but if you could go back to your club self what would you tell yourself oh my goodness huh hey <laughs> i tell myself a lot like i don't i think <laughs> because I would definitely try to be really like I would learn how to play right side probably earlier and learn how to be better on right side. I would still want to play left side, but I'd also refine my skill passing a lot more to even to give myself a chance to do that. Like I would have learned how to, you know, pass technically more sound that would have helped me like in the long run. Um, because with floats, like at a, I didn't force myself to really take it with my forearms unless it was easier because I was really good with my hands. And at this like level, it's serves are so flat. You're not going to really get a lot of opportunities with your height to take it with your hands unless it's 
going out probably. So I definitely have taught myself to pass more with my forearms. Also to learn how to spin serve earlier because I was float serving, I think my whole year basically. Only sometimes I spun serve every now and again. But for a long part of my career, I was I think I was float serving. So FTC was when I really started to spin serve, which is now I'm learning like how to get it better. Like my spin serve is much better now, but like it took a while because it takes a while to learn that stuff. So I would tell myself spin serve early, float, also learn how to skip like and skip off the block and play right side. Definitely like those things I would have told myself for sure, because I always like worked hard, but sometimes when you, you know, you're working in the wrong, like not necessarily, not the wrong things, but you're not, you don't know what you needed to work on at that time, you know, but I definitely did a lot of things that like doesn't help me a lot with my defense, like technically, like defensively, I can dig really, um, well in certain situations because of Dustin how he taught me like certain techniques but yeah I think man if I could tell my younger self that it'd be a lot different me now that's for sure right oh, that's good advice yeah I, I like that and it, it all like young players you got to focus on the fundamentals man you got to focus on the technical fundamentals so it's easier for you as the game gets faster because it's true when the game gets faster you don't have you're, you're you're behind if you don't have those fundamentals yeah. Uh, so 100 percent i also also last uh, i also forgot yeah definitely be a more of a student of the game like i didn't do that until i was in ftc i would encourage any young player to watch as much volleyball as possible watch your favorite players see what they do learn what they do and try to mimic what they do because also that just gives you motivation but it's it teaches you so much more than just like going to practice well if you're watching the best in the world do what, what you want to achieve to do or try to do, then it'll put you in a good spot. So that as well, I would tell myself. Right. Okay, last question for you. This is for coaches. What I have a lot of club coaches that listen to this, high school club co uh, coaches, yeah. club coaches. What would you, what, what's your best advice or top two, top three things you'd be telling club coaches and high school coaches right now? Um. You know, uh, I think it's you have to understand like your what you're dealing with like at, at that age. So I would say if you have a younger like we're talking like 13 years, I would put a lot of I would try to teach them technique in the most fun way possible, but so they can retain it because at that age your your attention span's not very long, but you're the most susceptible to learning things and training new things. So at that I would, I would like, if you're coaching younger age or younger age um, athletes right now, I would tell you to try to incorporate a lot more fun, but be very technical and like strict on their technique and give them discipline, but in a fun way. When you get older, you need to definitely do a lot more gameplay, but also um, push their, like stimulate their mental like brain. And then like, aspect of the game and you know teach them how to train and how to become more mature in adults because that's what's going to take them to like the next level when they play in university you know they need to be mentally strong and not only physical like the physical will come a lot of the time but mentally it's a big transition from 18 to university you're you know the big fish and now you're the small fish and guys are just as strong as you are stronger than you and stuff like that. So that could be mentally like tiring the psyche, but definitely train your athletes to be disciplined when they're older and, you know, keep them motivated by being more stimul like stimulant with like what you want to do with them, like the exercises and the drills, like a lot more gameplay, I think is required when you're older, but when you're younger, you do all the technique you could possibly instill in them because then your team, when they get older, would be very technically sound. Right. Right. That's great advice. I always, I don't know, tell me if you agree with this, but I say at the, at the older age group, I always say it's like 30% tactical and technical and 70% everything else. It's all yeah. about like, you kind of talk about the mental, the, the experience, creating that environment where it fosters all that growth. Um, that's yeah. what becomes really more important as, as opposed to the, the technical and the tactical. It's Definitely really like 
for my age, it was a different situation is because we were doing that at the younger age. So we were always more physical and like we didn't do, we weren't so good technically at all. Like really we weren't good technically at all in our age. We had some guys that are really good technically, but when you looked at us, we weren't so good technically. And when we switched coaches, 17, you Oris came and Oris was like, Oh, you guys aren't going to hit a ball for like three months. And we just like high ball set. We played defense. We served, received, we served, we did all these up, but we did not really play a game. Like we never played six on six for like the first two months until like just before a tournament, because he, in his mind, like we needed to learn how to like pass more and be more technical. And it helped a lot, but I think, yeah, I would have preferred it the younger age. Cause on the contrary, when we'd pra- like before us, like Kelly's youngest team, would practice before us and you just see them able to pass and all their techniques were so beautiful and you're like man like it's, it's just so easy for these guys but it's just like you know like when you're younger it's easy if you want to learn how to dance when you're younger you can learn to dance quicker than you can learn now you can learn to cook quicker than you can like it I, when you're younger you just learn things way faster than now right Yo, that there's so much knowledge in this episode. I, listen, I, I appreciate you coming out and doing this for us. Um, if our listeners want to follow you or you know keep up with your career, how, how can they get in touch with you? How can they follow you? Um, you can follow me at Shawan V1 at Instagram. And yeah, that's really it. Uh, Pac-Man, you'll see me a lot on Pac-Man and stuff, but you can follow me on Instagram. I'm pretty active on Instagram, I'd say. <laughs> nice. Maybe I will a YouTube channel soon. We'll see. Oh, that's dope. Yeah. I'll definitely link up your info in the show notes uh, for our listeners. But listen, man, thank you so much for joining me on another episode of the Volleyball by Design podcast. I really appreciate it. You've given you our listeners up any time. You've given our listeners a ton of value. I, I mean, you did not disappoint in that area. You got, I mean, I took a lot away from this interview, and I'm sure there's a lot of coaches and players who took a lot away as well. Um, any last final words? Um, no guys, just stay safe, <laughs> you know, survive this pandemic and let's get back. It's really right. it. You know, I, everyone, I hope everyone's staying safe and families are okay and healthy. And I wish everyone the best in 2021 because 2020 is a wash right now. Uh, you're telling me. All right. Well, listeners, thanks again for tuning in to another episode of the volleyball by design podcast. Uh, we'll see you next week. All right. Take care. All right. Cue the music. Look, are you at the stage you want to be in your volleyball journey? How would it feel to get clarity on your training? And instead of taking months to get better, you could improve in weeks, if not days. When I was a young coach and player, I felt this way all the time. The truth is, after I got some great advice on how to be efficient, my learning curve grew exponentially. Let me show you how to be more efficient and effective in this game. I invite you to check out CoachBTraining.com for more resources that you can use to take your game to the next level. I look forward to helping you reach your volleyball goals.